Hi, it's Elise Lunan, host of Pulling the Thread. Today is a special episode, the second of our four-part series on mystical systems. Today I'm joined by Jade Luna, an Asterian astrologist. High schoolers are busy, but no one's too busy to help fight cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is looking for their next student visionaries of the year. Could that be your child? High schoolers who participate in the seven-week philanthropic leadership development program gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. Most importantly, this campaign is an opportunity for high schoolers to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Sound like something your child might be interested in? You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Hi, it's Elise Lunan, host of Pulling the Thread. On this show, we pull apart the web in which we all live to understand who we are and why we're here. Pulling the Thread is about big questions, why we do what we do, how we can understand our own experiences within a larger spiritual and historical context, the ways in which we might begin to understand ourselves and each other better, and what's required to heal ourselves and our world. I'll be joined in conversation by luminaries and wise elders, those who have laid tracks in their work and lives to help us bring meaning and understanding to a world that often feels chaotic and overwhelming. My hope is that these conversations spark moments of resonance and plant tiny seeds of awareness so that we might all collectively learn and grow. The more we let go of, the more we receive, I feel that I live in that light. I believe that consciously. I'm not trying to control what the universe brings to me. I believe it knows exactly what's right for me. I'm an astrologer, so I believe in the cosmos. I believe it's a conscious, not an unconscious entity, which I believe a lot of new age thinking is treating the universe like it's unconscious and doesn't really know what it's doing. I think we're still dealing with fear then. We're still collectively, I want to control things because I'm afraid of what's going on. So I view a lot of new age beliefs as being clouded in that fear. This is the second part in our special series on mystical systems. Last Monday, we heard from Courtney Smith on the Enneagram. Next week, we'll learn about tarot and Kabbalah, and the following week about human design. That voice you just heard is Jade Luna, who studies what he calls Asterian astrology. He claims to be the first Westerner to reconstruct Hindu astrology into a Greco-Roman format. As you'll hear, there are parts of the system that are familiar, and others that are wholly different, though his readings will align with what you might have heard in the past, and then some. My reading with Jade was quite wild and very specific down to health tendencies and the structure of my brain. Our conversation today goes way beyond astrology though. Jade and I talk about our fear of darkness, why waking up from what can sometimes feel like a collective nightmare is part of the point, and the confluence of seeds that have been planted in the past that are pushing us toward responsibility. We even get into global warming and predestiny. It's a fascinating one. I just wanted to note that Jade and I recorded this episode at the end of August, 
during the Los Angeles hurricane and before the Israel-Hamas war. Okay, let's get to our conversation. Let's just start at the beginning. What is Asterian astrology? Is it yours? Where did it come from? Take us through it. So thank you for asking that question. It's a question I'd love to answer. This is the oldest system of astrology on Earth. It came from an ancient astronomer named Hipparchus. And Alexander the Great and his priests went to Alexandria, Egypt, and learned this system from the priests of... When he took over the ancient Mediterranean world, he brought a book with him called the Yavana Jataka. Hmm. And it's an ancient astrological text. And he left it in northern India because he took over northern India. The priests of India took the book, the Yavana Jataka, and took part of the information in it, merged it into what they already had, a Vedic system of astrology. And what modern Vedic astrology is, is a combination of ancient Indian astrology, but the Yavana Jataka mixed in it. So oddly enough, when I lived in India, I had a silent guru. Meher Baba was the don't worry, be happy guru of the 60s, and one of his disciples was my guru. And we had to be silent. We had to be silent for months at a time. So out of pure boredom and having to be silent, I took the book, the Yavana Jataka, and translated it back to its original Roman Greco format. It was originally Greek and then went Roman Greco. And I translated it back just purely out of boredom, not knowing that had never been done before. And I started using it to make predictions. And the year that I started using this particular system was the year that my business just took off. The things that this particular system can predict is a 27 sign system. By the way, all ancient systems were 27 signs. The priests of ancient time reserved the 27 signs for the priest caste and gave the 12 signs to the public. They're like, the public's ignorant. We'll give them 12 signs. We'll keep the 27 to ourselves. This goes on to this day in India. The 27 signs, which are called Nixatras in India, are relatively hidden from the public. But if you talk to a Brahmin priest, and if you ever go to my Instagram, you can see that there's a, several Brahmins that I was very close to in India. And one of them I was like was one of my better friends. And if you talk to Brahmins about astrology in India, they literally know nothing about the 12 signs. They only know these 27 signs. I've also been able to show that French priests, even Catholic, ones that got into astrology. On my Instagram, if you, if you go down, you can actually see the manuscripts of 27 signs. So these signs are ancient. I did not create this system. I translated it. But where I did influence it is modernizing it so people could understand it and using names that would be relatively familiar. And I created Roman Greco names because Western astrology, like Sagittarius, this is Latin. I wanted to, to kind of coexist with these particular terms that we're familiar with. So I created the Roman Greco version of it. So it would kind of match what we knew, um, it being a Latin-based system as far as the names are concerned. But no, I modernized it, that's for sure. Um, I have one book out called Asterian Astrology, The Lost System of Alexander the Great. My translation is up front. The actual Yavana Jataka is in the back. Hmm. 
I was only allowed to use three quarters of it, though. I was only given permission to use three quarters. So 25% of it is missing. Is that you're not allowed to actually publish the whole entire manuscript like that. Hmm. Then I wrote another book called 27 Stars, which is a modernized version for the age we live in for this ancient system. What is it about the number 27 that's so significant? The belief is there's 108 faces of God. If you wear like a mala bead, it's going to have 108 beads on it. This was another way that I proved that the ancients used this system because these 27 signs are dissected into four quadrants. 27 times 4 is 108. The belief is there's 108 faces of God. The 27 main, you dissect them by 4, you get 108. Proving, again, the ancients used this system. So the mala beads that we chant with have 108 beads on it, also reflecting these 108 signs or personalities of the divine. I've had a reading with you, but I can no way speak to the differences between Asterian astrology and what we sort of know. How, what, how do you even classify our primary astro astrological system? Western well, astrology? I don't even view Western astrology as a real science. And it was created by Catholicism, so people would never use the system we're talking about. Catholicism created anti-divination laws, making astrology illegal. They put out a wrong system, so we would never use this system anymore. So wherever Catholicism spread, you get tropical Western astrology, which is our old calendar. I'll explain that here in a minute. Wherever Catholicism did not grow, India, Tibet, Egypt, you still get the stars in the sky and these ancient systems. Western astrology is the only system that has ever existed that does not actually use the stars in the sky. The first day of Aries is the first day of spring. If you wrap the 12 months around that particular date, which is the spring equinox date, that's a calendar. That has nothing to do with the stars in the sky. An astrologer in ancient time had two jobs, creating calendars and observing the stars in the sky. Because Catholicism banned actually observing the stars in the sky, they put out the calendar in replacement of the zodiac. So the zodiac in the sky moves one degree every 72 years. It's called the precession of the equinox. And the stars follow that movement. Western astrology doesn't observe that. It just observes the calendar months. And that's why the, 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 the seasonal months that it uses kind of stay the same. But no, you have to consistently observe the zodiac. It is constantly changing. So... Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, astrology is far more complicated. And I think the fact that, you know, people think that everybody born the same month as them has the same personality, that's the most general form of mysticism that has ever existed in anything. Real astrology is really advanced. Ancient master astrologers always use the 27. So what Western astrology is, it's an old calendar that has nothing to do with the stars. And that's why I make the joke that Western astrology has predicted the age of Aquarius five times since 1960 because they actually have <laughs> no idea how to predict the age of Aquarius. You have to observe the wobble of the Earth's axis in relationship to these stars to actually predict the age of Aquarius. It's so easy to do, yet because they don't use the stars in the sky, they have actually no idea how to use it. So what the age of Aquarius does not start until 2,500. And any astrologer that uses the stars in the sky will tell you the exact same thing, but you get Western astrology. Oh, there's a conjunction in Aquarius, so it's the age of Aquarius. Those conjunctions happen all the time. 
That's why they keep predicting the age of Aquarius over and over again. You know, the 60s were dawning on the age of Aquarius, and here we are predicting the age of Aquarius again because they think Pluto's gone into Aquarius. But the truth is, this pandemic started in real astrology when Saturn and Pluto went into Capricorn at the same time, which was January of 2020. That's how I predicted this pandemic publicly a year in advance. Because Capricorn rules over constraint and feeling controlled by your environment, which even though I said the pandemic would go into the background in 2023, the coronavirus is going to stay until 2040, the whole time that Pluto is in Capricorn. But I said it's going to become a background story as of 2023 when Saturn goes into Aquarius. So Saturn went to Aquarius this year, hence nuclear fusion, AI. All these things are connected to Saturn in Aquarius because Saturn governs a big part of our earthly ages down here. So in short, Western astrology is an old calendar. Believe it or not, we should be using it for our seasonal months, though. The first day of Aries should be the first day of spring. That is when we should be celebrating January 1st. That should be our beginning of the new year is spring equinox. But that's a calendar. It's a 12-month calendar where the 12 signs in the zodiac, that is very different than what it is. And Catholicism banned that part, observing yeah. Zodiac. Well, I'm over my skis here, but shouldn't there really also be 13 months when you think about lunar cycles? And yes. this is a sun, sun calendar instead of a lunar cycle. And 13 yes. times 28 is 364. So we're kind of off anyway. Yes, it is. All of that is true. <laughs> All of that is real. Yeah, the lunar calendar is still used in India. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I know everyone says that your 20s are supposed to be the best years of your life, but that wasn't the case for me. I kind of hated my 20s or found that decade really hard. Sensing that I was in the dumps and needed a timeout, my late brother-in-law and best friend Peter took me to France one year. Officially, we were going to see and stay with his aunt, but really I think he wanted to cheer me up. We went to the flea markets in the countryside on the weekends where I found a set of very old religious medals. I decided to invest these metals with the belief that everything in my life could shift, and over the following months, things started to move. I kept these metals close and then figured out how to frame them myself. I did this badly, but well enough that they could stay with me ever since. When Peter passed away in 2017, these metals became even more precious to me, earning pride of place next to my desk. They're a talisman of luck, yes, and also of Peter. But my poor framing job from 2002 started to fail recently, and so I decided to entrust my medals to FrameBridge to have them framed right. I've been having FrameBridge frame all my family photos for years. You can upload digital prints, and they do a beautiful and speedy job, making them the perfect place for holiday gifts, as my mother-in-law and parents treasure photos of my kids, or at least I convince myself they do, and they confirm this for me. But FrameBridge also takes on objects that are typically expensive and difficult to frame, whether it's menus, tickets, original artwork, personal milestones, hotel keys, keys to your first home, or in my case, medals. You can easily order online at FrameBridge.com or visit one of their 20-plus FrameBridge retail stores. They provide free, secure, prepaid packaging for physical items. They will then frame your piece and ship it to you in days. It's easy, it's affordable, you know exactly what it will cost up front, and they offer every conceivable framing option. Everything I've framed has always looked even better than I expected. Plus, if you're not 100% happy with your piece, they'll make it right. 
CY FrameBridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit FrameBridge.com or a local FrameBridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything. That's FrameBridge.com. So for people who are unfamiliar and they do a chart, are you just determining charts in a similar way or is there a totally different? Because I feel like astrology, Western astrology, in my experience with great astrologers, seems to be quite specific when you start looking at all of the planets together and rising and moon and yada, yada, yada. Is it similar in Asterian? We use all of that except for we use 27 signs. We have three types of Leos, three types of Virgos, three types of Cancers, and they're all so different from one another. To call them all the same in this system is the reason why priests hid this stuff from the public. It's the reason why. And why? Why was it so threatening? Because the belief was that priests earned that knowledge through their Mm -hmm. desire to be conscious and the general public was connected to commercialism, which this still goes on to, the day, to this day, spiritually. Let's give commercialism to the public, things that may not entirely be 100% relevant or true, and let's keep reserved wisdom for the people that have actually earned it. And so mm. that's the belief with priests is that the public hasn't desired the knowledge. They want commercial wisdom. They want to talk about, oh, he's a Scorpio, so he acts like this, or he's a Libra, so he acts like that. The depth and of how real and deep astrology really is, they want to keep it and reserve it to priests. There are people that are mad at me in India releasing the book 27 stars. Mm. So there wouldn't be three variations of every star sign as we know it. There's right? a carryover. There's what we call a Prometheus sign. Part of it is in Gemini. Part of it is in Taurus. So there's a Prometheus Taurus and there's a Prometheus Gemini. They have the same Prometheus qualities, but the Taurus and Gemini will separate them. So when you use the fact that some signs overlap with these 27, that's how it all merges together and works relatively well. As a matter of fact, Asterion puts the 27 signs together better than even Vedic astrology. It's a very sacred system. The ancients believe that it's how gods are at play with human beings. So as an example, there was an eclipse in December of 2019. It was right on Christmas. And the eclipse was under the god Typhon. Typhon is the Egyptian god Set, the god of plagues. So Mm. we were going to go into confinement because Saturn and Pluto were going to go into Capricorn at the same time, January of 2020. Why? Well, that eclipse, and eclipses are what I use to see what gods are active on this particular planet. Well, Typhon was the god of plagues. You can read the article that came out January of 2019. They were either going to have a pandemic or a volcanic eruption that made it difficult to breathe. I said, one of those two things is going to happen because Typhon rules over those two things. And then, and so you just mentioned that the ancients believed that this is how God intersected with humans. I think that is something along those lines. So you talk about it as a science, but if you roll it back to its mystical origins, what do you think it is? Like, what do you think that this is? It's a mystical science. Okay. And also, it's even funny that people get so caught up in their sun signs, because moon signs were significantly more important, even in Rome, Greece, all the way up until the 1300s. Why? Because the moon controls the water and the tides on this planet, and human beings 
are 85% water. We are the water element. So scientifically, we are more affected by the transitions of the moon than the sun because we are water. That's the reason why ancients used the moon over the sun for your personality. There was no culture that used the sun as your main personality. So when people get caught up in their sun sign, I kind of laugh anyways, because that's not the way this thing was. And how I proved that, ancient Roman kings put their head on one side and their lunar sign on the other, and it was sidereal, not tropical. So that was a way of showing that Greeks used my system, not tropical, Western astrology, because kings still had their birthdays available, and you could see on the back they were using sidereal, which means star-based astrology, not this seasonal calendar that's been flowing around for a while. Interesting. A friend of mine who's an astrologer, Jennifer Fried, she talks about this is Western, but obviously everyone sort of understands the sun sign, but the moon is your actual interiority and who you really are. And then your rising is how you manage the world, which I really, I'm a Pisces moon. So that feels more like me than my Sag sun. But anyway, no, that's not Asterian. I won't take us down a path. And then what was it you, I mean, I, I don't know if it's clear. So when people would get their what were they using it for? Just divination of That's, events or fate, destiny? Here's where the Greeks become the best and greatest astrologers of all time. India had an ancient system. Matter of fact, the oldest dates of astrology we know are India, Egypt. Mm. Mesopotamia also had one, but it was very vague in how they used it. Egypt and India used it for worshiping gods. The moon would go through lunar mansions, these 27 signs, and it would evoke a god every single day. It was used for how to honor gods and goddesses. The Greeks and the priests of Alexander the Great sat down and said, let's formulate a way to use this for human beings to sit someone down and actually give them a reading. The Greeks formulated that. This system of astrology was used for that purpose. So the Greeks were responsible for creating the act of giving readings. Ancient culture used it for major transitions on the planet, like Mesopotamian astrology, Babylonian astrology. Their only references are how the planetary alignments affect their kingdom at large, not individuals. Interesting. Egypt, all gods and goddesses, how to worship their gods, which gods are active on which day. Same with India. Greeks sat down and said, let's try to find a way to use it for people. So interesting. So like it moves from sort of global to community to individual destiny. That's correct. Yep. So looking ahead at this strange moment that we find ourselves in, as you and I are in Southern California experiencing a hurricane and hoping our power doesn't go out, what's your read on where we are globally and maybe in terms of this country? So you can also go to my Instagram and go through articles I had written in 2020, from 2019 to 2020. This is when my career stood out because I was using a system to make predictions that were global, that were actually happening. Um, again, I'm listed as the only astrologer on the planet that predicted the pandemic beforehand. So what did I say in these articles? And I have innumerable art articles out. Weather is going to be our problem. Last year, People are trying to get me to predict a world war this year, the, the use of nuclear weapons. I said, no, I'm predicting weather problems. It's all mm -hmm. written already. In 2020, 2021, I said, our problem is going to be weather. We, I predicted the day that we had the war start. I said, in 
February that when Rahu, the North Node, which the nodes are very big in earthly predictions. And it's one of the reasons why Western astrologers can't predict stuff like this. They actually can't. They can try and they can talk about it, but to actually predict it beforehand and see it happen like a pandemic, they don't understand the use of the nodes at all. They're like, oh, the North Node's your future, the South Node is your past. That is not true at all. These particular nodes are monsters, they believe, in ancient time. One is the head of a dragon. The other one's the body. I'll call it Medusa, the head of Medusa and the body of Medusa. And they create our worldly calamities. So you, you can use the north and south node to dictate the problems that are happening on this planet. On the week, the Rahu, the north node, the head of Medusa, as I call it, went into Aries. Russia attacked Ukraine. Aries, mm. war. So... When you use this system and you see the gods that are active, like Ares, the god of war, would be invoked. Sure enough, the war started right there and then. Predicted months beforehand. You can see me predicting a war coming because of Rahu, the head of Medusa, going into Ares. The larger alignments, like when Neptune really went into Pisces last year, I said that in combination with Saturn and Aquarius, the water bearer, you can go read articles of me in 2020 saying, watch the transitions we're going to have on this planet due to water. And it's just using the real signs where mm -hmm. Western astrology had stuff well into Pisces already. And they're talking about Saturn going into Pisces and all that. I said the combination of Neptune in real Pisces with Saturn and Aquarius, the water bearer, that combination is going to bring major weather problems upon this planet. Again, I said that in 2020. And so here we are. How long is this particular period? We're going to have this go on for a while. There will be a point where these things do start to change. But I, I believe the, the whole entire time we are in Neptune and Pisces, we are going to be dealing with massive transitions of water on this planet, places that have no water at all, places that have too much water. And that's what I was talking about. But water becomes a centralized issue as the outer planets I do use, which a lot of people that use Vedic don't use the outer planets. But the, the outer planets I do use for worldly transitions, along with the more predictable ones, Rahu and Ketu, the north and south node. So we have a good seven years of this minimum. And, okay. and I believe that we're just in the beginning of having, you can read my articles where I said, we're going to have earthquakes in places that generally don't have earthquakes. We're going to have hurricanes and tornadoes in places we generally don't have. And here I am looking at all this stuff right now. And that's not me intuiting anything. That's using these 27 signs when you see which specific gods are active at specific times. So then how do you align this with something like global warming, for example? Is that some predetermined destiny for us? <laughs> are we just in the hands of a system? Well, we're going into a new age. It's not the age of Aquarius. It's the age of Chimera. So I said 2020 to 2070 is the end of the age as we know it. The age of Chimera comes next. The age of Chimera, technology aligns with nature. Mm. We have to feel responsible. We are responsible for global warming. I believe that strongly. But I do believe the seed for this type of ignorance was also planted in human beings to do this because the age we're going into we are going to align with nature and we have to feel responsible for creating this because we did. But was it destiny that we are going to create this? Yeah, it was. And that's why it happened. As my guru in India would always say, if it happened, it was always going to happen. If it never happened, it was never going to happen. So it's happening. 
So this is some sort of like, in your mind, next evolution or iteration of our consciousness in which we start to take responsibility for the world. That's right. We as being the destroyers of it, so we correct it and don't do it again, which we won't in the age we're going into. Technology and nature will align. And well, because we did create this, but was the seed planted by the universe to create this? I believe it was. So what's your understanding then of AI? And is that in some ways the same convergence? It, it's funny because I just talked about this two days ago. AI was a, was a subject that was brought up and, and it, it's going to duplicate humanity in a lot of ways, but it can't duplicate the love and the light that you are. It's not going to ever mm-hmm. be able to do that. So we're going to retain our power in this human form because the love and light that we contain, it's not going to be able to duplicate that, but it's going to be able to duplicate a lot of other things. So it's going to reflect the shadow of humanity, not the light of mm-hmm. humanity. It's going to reflect the shadow of it. It even can play the, and it can imitate the ego of human, but it can't imitate the light of a human being. So I believe a, uh, AI is going to stick around and I think there are going to be some dark elements to it and I think there's going to be some light elements to it, but I think it's here to stay. Want to have conversations with incredible thinkers and leaders? Host a podcast. No, seriously, it is such a privilege to be able to sit down with people who stretch my mind every week and share their wisdom and insights with all of you. It's like going back to school and getting my own version of a PhD. So what's another place to learn from some of the most remarkable experts alive today? Masterclass. There are more than 180 masterclass instructors, including experts in leadership, negotiation, writing, and cooking. You can learn from actor Amy Poehler, who teaches improv and performance, Carla Welch, who teaches personal style, Bobby Brown, he teaches how to put on makeup, or Esther Perel, who teaches relational intelligence. Don't miss Esther's recent episode on Pulling the Thread. These instructors become your own personal mentors, helping you gain real-life skills. I use Masterclass, and you should too. There are more than 200 classes to pick from, with new ones added every month. For example, my good friend and former Pulling the Thread guest, Emily Morse, teaches about sex and communication. And if there's anyone you want to invite into the bedroom with you and your partner, it's her. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com thread. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com thread. Masterclass.com thread. So I understand that or feel that very resonantly, this idea that it can duplicate the ego or the darkness. Can it be a force of good? I don't know. I mean, I see it taking away some mundane tasks and maybe amplifying our efforts, et cetera. But it is interesting to think about the consciousness in which it's created and whether that's high enough. I don't know. Mm. You brought up shadow. I'm in a phase of my life where I'm very interested in that whole conversation. Although my therapist, who's a Jungian, is like, shadow and light is tough and has so many racist implications. And so using instead, like, realized and unrealized, potentially. How do you, when you look at our whole history through the lens of this system, what's happening? What are we working toward? Anything? 
<laughs> well, it's, there's several answers to that question, unfortunately. There's several answers to that. Like, what are we going to? There's different levels of consciousness, and there are different stages that human beings are on. So ultimately, I'm going to give you the Asterian version that in the beginning, there was just this infinite ocean of light, unconscious of itself. And the second that that infinite light had its first thought of consciousness, the divine mother was born from that thought, created this entire universe, individualized drops of that ocean of light, sent them through creation, which is us, just so we can go right back to where we came from, but conscious of ourselves. So we go through this whole entire thing just to go back to consciousness. And that's why there's always going to be darkness because it's through the darkness and the adversity and what I call the universal scrubbing, that dark energy. It has to be to create a duality so you can evolve consciously through light. So darkness we see as a high, high thing. It's the force that's actually challenging you to make you stronger in yourself. And it also helps you individualize the drop of the ocean that you are. We are infinite light. We are all one, but we still have individual personalities as we're displaying two different ones right now. So the mm -hmm. darkness helps you find that individual light. Earth is school. It's not our home. It's always been a mess like this. It's always been like this. There was a Hitler in the 40s. There was a World War II. Everyone thought it was Armageddon. There was a World War I and a Spanish flu at the exact same time. Everybody thought it was the end of the world. Everybody. Mm -hmm. We're just in that age. We are going into a new age, so I'm not doubting what we're seeing here, but Earth is school. It's not your home, and it's programmed to be like this. My guru said something I won't ever forget. He said, the world is in perfect harmony, but you are not. God created, and he preserved what he created, and he's going to destroy what he created. Oddly enough, my guru said she, not he, because the belief is that in our tradition, there is no one belief that's right, by the way. As my guru would also say, you want to know how many spiritual paths there are? As many faces you actually see. Everybody's face is their own spiritual path. So when I say something, I'm not coming from the idea that this is a universal truth. It comes from a right. sect of spirituality that I belong to. The Divine Mother, um, she's individualizing these drops of the ocean. And darkness is just this web of energy, which helps us find ourselves so we can return back to our original state. I don't mm. know if I lost point of your question there. Beautiful. It's similar to like Takun Alam or just broken, a broken vessel of light. And then you gather those pieces of light. I'm really interested in, I just read this book that was very in my mind. Have you read James Hillman? So essentially it's about this idea of the daemon or the, the soul, the soul's code, the character of calling, I want to say, but essentially this idea that Every person has their own unique pattern, destiny, et cetera. It all aligns with sort of what you've been saying. And he talks, too, about the bad seed. He writes at length about Hitler in a really fascinating way. I've sort of done my best to avoid learning about Hitler. But you think about some of these darker seeds in our culture, and I feel like we're starting to see more evidence of this type of thinking now. I agree with that 100%. Yet... One thing in our tradition we believe in is that life is a dream that you eventually mm -hmm. wake up from. This whole thing's an illusion. You're in a dream. And if you're having a really good dream, you could wake up from that dream going, you know what? I want to go back to sleep. Let's go back to that dream. But if you have a nightmare, you stand up and you turn that light on. We believe the dark 
elements of this planet exist so people get up and turn that light on. And so the horrors that exist in this creation are planned. They are destined. So people wake up. Death is not our enemy at all. We can't treat it like it is. We all have to go through karma. As we also say in this tradition, there is no evil. There's just karma. That's it. You cannot end up in experiences that are not karmically right for the patterning of your own spirit. That's unnatural. Life is a natural process. So we accept everything as a part of the naturalness of this planet, whether we like it or not. And there are horror stories that exist all throughout creation. So we get up and turn that light on and it works. It actually yeah. works. And I also, please, I don't want people to think that I'm talking about it's good to be dark. It's not because you, first of all, you have to deal with the karma that you create and it's got to come back to you. When you really understand karma, you're not going to do dark things anymore. You're just going to start aligning with that light because it feels right for your spirit to have a good natural life. I want a good natural life. I don't want to deal with things that deal with, well, there's two shades of darkness. There's spiritual darkness, which is the challenges you have to go through in order to master who you are. And then there's unnatural darkness, which is human ignorance. I want nothing to do with unnatural darkness, but natural darkness, I find to be the goddess Kali. And she is planting seeds on this planet. So people go, oh man, I need to wake up. You know, I remember in the early, well, actually late nineties when Y2K was coming. And in, I was in India when that happened in my, and they were saying, we're going to actually hold hands and we're going to create a, you know, a million people on this planet holding hands. And we're going to change the scope of this karma, karma, this planet. We're going to have light on this planet for eternity because we're going to have a million people holding hands, meditating on light. My guru said, good luck. You might even mm -hmm. speed up the darkness because you have to actually go through darkness in order to find your light. You cannot dispel it. You cannot mm -hmm. tap into your fear and act like your fear is more important. So I see a lot of the we're meditating on light. I see it as fear-based. It's like people that don't want to deal with either their karma that they've created, which we have to deal with our karma, whether we like it or not. That's why I'm also not a big fan of manifesting. I'm like, you have to deal with your karma. You can't manifest it away. And our yeah. thoughts, I'd love to say, really create our reality. But here's the thing, and I said this on my last podcast, you know, I could think, and I don't have any interest in slapping a person, but I could think about slapping you, and I could think about a heart. And incur absolutely no karma. But if I reach over and do it, then I officially have karma. Your actions create results. Your mind does not. Your mm -hmm. mind, though, can create results of your body. I believe manifesting can work through your body. But if, let's say, my work slows down and I want to pick up work, I just go create work. And that energy will then circulate around because it's in the physical world and create a reaction here on the earth plane. I'm not a giant fan of the new age world. I come from a very Vedantic place where you get what you let go of. You don't get what you attach to. So the idea of attaching to something really mm. is not what like be here now. And Baba Ram Dass said in the sixties, he said, you can have whatever you want. If you get it up, give it up. And if you look at your life and I tell everybody this in my readings, if you look at your life, the things you are attached to aren't working at all, and the things you're not attached to are working perfectly, so stop attaching to things. So I am an advocate for, I believe my success as an astrologer, I'm also a signatory musician too, I believe my success in these two worlds comes not from my ability to attach to something, but to release it and let it go. So my astrology job I see as a reflection of how detached I am from the results of it. So when we start trying to create results in the world, I believe that can actually create an opposite reaction. So there are certain laws that are being created in the new age world 
I think come right from ignorance, like total human ignorance. The idea that we control the universe is saying to the universe, I know it's right for me more than you know it's right for myself. That is not spirituality at all. There is no spirituality in saying, you don't know what's right for me. So I'm going to force you to believe what's right for me. I treat the universe like it's a divine mother. Do I have an intent of want things? I do. I'll sit in front of my statue of Kali, which I've been worshiping her almost my entire life, saying, if you want this for me, let's do it. If you don't, take it away. I believe you know it's right for me more than I know for myself. And I believe if you give the mother that power, there's a slight giving she'll actually give you. So as an example, let's say you have a child and the child's like, I want candy. I want candy. And you say, you know what? I don't think candy is good for you. I believe the mother thinks just like that. But if you say, mom, I'd like candy, but you know, I'll let you decide if I give it or not. She's like, you know what? Here's a little piece of candy. Yeah. The more we let go of, the more we receive, I feel that I live in that light. I believe that consciously. I'm not trying to control what the universe brings to me. I believe it knows exactly what's right for me. I'm an astrologer, so I believe in the cosmos. I believe it's a conscious, not an unconscious entity, which I believe a lot of new age thinking is treating the universe like it's unconscious and doesn't really know what it's doing. I think we're still dealing with fear then. We're still collectively, I want to control things because I'm afraid of what's going on. So I view a lot of new age beliefs as being clout in that fear. Mm, I love that. I think that going back a bit, the distinguishing between natural and unnatural darkness feels so critical to me. And this fear, you know, of death, this desire to engineer certainty, have control, create our own longevity, whatever it is, this like disavowal of all that life gives us, which is inherently loss so that we can often get bigger, right? Sometimes, you know, along the lines of what you're saying, and yet this sort of tight-fisted way that we approach life with this, like, that will never happen to me. I will never lose. I will never experience death, grief, job loss, whatever it is, these small moments of sort of opportunities of, of resurrection to grow. I love that distinction because I think in general, we live in a culture that just has complete fear of darkness. It's like the darkness, the womb, the void. Where do you think all of this comes from, right? The darkness. Like I said, I love natural darkness. I'm not a yeah. fan of unnatural darkness, which is human ignorance. I'm not a fan of that at all. Yeah. Uh, they're different. Why do they have the same word? That's what I, where I think we get into so much trouble and then you have, you know, and I guess you sort of said you don't believe in absolute evil. I do think like when you talk to mystics like Llewellyn Von Lee, for example, who's Sufi, he talks about darkness, the alchemical, these cords of darkness as being areas that can really only be explored if you are armored, not armored, but like, I agree, you better be That's, mystical. I believe that. You're not going to go there until you're ready. The mother's not going to pull yeah. you in until I, I call it Kali. That's just my interpretation of yeah. the divine because I've been worshiping her for years, but she's not going to pull someone in there until you're absolutely ready. The, the great mysteries of life, I talk about this, is you can travel 15,000 miles to visit, to visit some high level Buddhist monk for him just to say, eat well, sleep well, be happy. The mysteries of yeah. the universe are far too deep for the general public. And that's why there's commercial mysticism, like Clark's Western astrology, right in that. And then there's mm -hmm. real mysticism. Kali creates a web of ignorance around this planet to see who pops their head above it and who doesn't. And that's mm -hmm. why there's gotta be commercial wisdom. That's why I'm all okay with the ignorance out there because it's for people that are starting to become a little bit thirsty 
for spirituality, but then there's deep mysteries for the people that are actually really thirsty, are actually really yeah. longing for that. And they've earned that through lifetimes of wanting that. So you can't just give that energy to the public. They'll explode and run right away from the spiritual path when they realize that darkness is a huge part of it. They would yeah. run. And, and once you start to advance, my guru even said that's why you even see a lot of Catholic saints painting pictures of the devil in the end, seeing that it was, oh, wait a minute, was this all one and the same? And was it through that force that I got here? Is it yeah. really an enemy or is it an ally that I'm here because of it? Wondering what to give your mom or wife or daughter or friend or godmother for Mother's Day? From someone who cares a lot about her bed and sleep, may I recommend something from Cozy Earth? In fact, Becoming a mom and suffering through its required sleep deprivation is where my obsession with sleep started, so it's one of those gifts that might really bring things full circle. After all, women in particular are really impacted by sleep deprivation, which has massive implications for our health. Between the hypervigilance of motherhood and the hot flashes of perimenopause and menopause, we get a raw sleep deal. So let me tell you about giving women you love their best night's sleep ever let me tell you about Cozy Earth. Their sheets are made from viscose from bamboo, and they are indescribably soft. So soft, like a bed hug like no other. Now, I'm not the only mega Cozy Earth fan. Every single year since 2018, Cozy Earth products have been named as one of Oprah's favorite things. Oprah picked their best-selling bamboo sheet set because they're temperature-regulating and incredibly soft, and she picked their joggers and their socks and their pajamas Meanwhile, Cozy Earth doesn't just make sheets, they also make pillows, blankets, and more. Cozy Earth makes their products by sourcing responsibly. They use the best suppliers with an eye toward quality, responsible production, cutting-edge technology, and premium materials. They're also incredibly durable. They get better with every wear, and they have an enhanced weave that is guaranteed not to pill even after washing and drying. All Cozy Earth products can be returned or exchanged within 100 days and include an additional 10-year warranty against defects. This Mother's Day, treat mom to the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize her self-care and sleep health. She deserves it. Don't forget to use my promo code THREAD at checkout for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. After placing your order, select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop-down menu that follows so they know that we sent you. Question. When you think about accessing these more advanced, I would say dangerous energies, is the idea that you must be protected so that you don't become distorted, destroyed, and bent? If you think about sort of darkness, absolute darkness as maybe one of the most powerful energies in this universe. This is like the material that we're transforming, right, on the regular. And maybe some of us can take like a tiny bit off the parapet, a bit at a time is all that we can sort of metabolize or alchemize, is the idea that if you get too close, I just have a theory looking at (laughs) some cultural figures that they get so close to the dark, they think they can handle it. And then you watch them people who profess to be forces of good, creating a lot of harm and devastation. Is it because that they think that they can manage it? Well, there is some of that. There's no doubt about that. Yet it's also 
very strongly connected to Western thinking. Now, I do know Indian gurus that got caught right up in what you're talking about. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it, it, darkness often what lures people out of their center is lust, first of all. And as in my training, if a guru has lust, just stay away from them because they're actually a stain. We call them human garbage cans. They're collecting energy from people. And it's kind of their job and their lot to collect karma from those people. But here, let's use deities as an example. In Greece, you had to, if you're going to worship Hades at a funeral, right, you had to protect yourself from him. So you had to invoke him. And he would come into your circle and sometimes even lie, like Lucifer would lie and create it. But then you go to Tibet, Yamantaka is actually an incredibly enlightened god. It's how we see them intellectually that matters. So like when Aleister Crowley, as an example, was talking about demonic spirits and how they'll lie to you, it's because he was trying to control them. Mm-hmm. You don't try to control spirits. You don't try to treat them a certain way. They're not going to tell you any truths. Then you go to Tibet and they're all wisdom. These same deities become conscious entities because they're treated like conscious entities. The West seems to treat these energies as if they're low vibrational energies. So what do these low vibrational energies do? They take on the form of a low vibrational energy. But then you go to Tibet where Yama, who's Hades, is God. And he is the most enlightened of them all because that's the way they treat him. So I don't have protective circles. I'm an agora. An agora means we only meditate on darkness. We don't meditate on light. Why? Because you already are light. You just don't know it yet. Your shadow is in the way. So we believe in only working with your shadow. And the more of your shadow you scoop out, the more light you start to contain and the better your life is. And we believe you have to experience an equal amount of light and dark in a lifetime. So if you're dealing with your darkness in your spirituality, it makes your a life on the outside highly abundant. So we're like, if your altar is just reflecting white light, well, expect to experience the dark in the world. So if you deal with your darkness in your spiritual life, well, then you get light in the world. Since I've been an Agora, which is a type of worshiper of Kali, my altar is so dark in this house that I live in right now, I don't even show it online. People would stop <laughs> calling me. I mean, and, and there's a reason though, but it's a very conscious reason. I am dealing with my darkness in my spiritual life, so I don't have to have so much reflected here. Now, we have karma with people. I'm dealing with dark things with other people in the world right now, but it's karma I actually have with these people from previous lives is working itself out. Meanwhile, my ability to experience abundance in this life has come from actually dealing with my darkness in my spiritual realm, not in my human life. So Agora's, we reverse everything. Very Jungian in a lot of respects. Focus on the shadow. Yeah, and it feels like there's a difference between sort of worshiping or enslaving yourself to darkness or being an agent of darkness and facing or attending to the darkness. I don't know how to make that distinction, but a difference between being like, let me unleash darkness in the world versus like, let me acknowledge and appropriately revere darkness, as you said, maybe the most powerful force, right? I still am in the philosophies you can't believe in karma and evil at the same time. If you end up in that space where you are being affected negatively by a negative human being who's a dark being, your karma put you there Mm -hmm. for a reason to learn about something. You can see that as an unconscious experience or a conscious experience. And, you know, there is a force out there that is keeping everything balanced. And so I don't have fear. I I had a false guru in this life that was dark. I actually believed he was a reincarnation of Jesus. He was molesting his daughter who he believed was mm. like Mary. I wanted nothing to do with this place. I was there because my girlfriend at the time was actually following this guy. And I was just sitting there like, and I'm in documentaries in India about false gurus. 
there's a very, very famous guru, I'm not even going to mention his name, that was actually doing tantric rituals with children to gain kundalini powers that he would use on an audience of hundreds of thousands of people. And we actually mm -hmm. caught him personally. I was working at his ashram as an astrologer, and I said, there's something going on here. And we put a video out him. Very interesting. If you Google Jade Soluna, uh, there's a lot of negative things that come out about me because his ashram tried to smear me publicly because we were going to go after this guru that was doing these things. Meanwhile, I still saw the whole thing as a play. You don't, you're not going to end up in a situation with a person like that unless your karma actually puts you there. So we have to sometimes acknowledge that our karma arranges these situations due to the only goal you're alive for is to realize who you are. You're not here for any other reason. You're not here for earthly happiness. You're not here to have a white picket fence. You're here to realize who you are. And every situation you go through is a karma cleanse to help you do that, whether it's good or bad. And so no matter what, let's say someone has a dark spot in their spirit, that's going to attract them to a person with a dark spot. Well, where did this dark spot come from in this person? The karma they created their most recent life. So mm -hmm. they would not be in that situation, experience that darkness if they didn't actually create the karma to be there. So I believe, though, if we keep consciously dealing with our darkness, we keep dispelling it spiritually, which then prevents these things from happening in the world. I think our fear of darkness propels us right into these situations we don't want to be in yeah. we have to deal with darkness we can't be fearful beings fearlessness yeah. is how you hold the most light so my path and the reason why my altar room on the other side of this door is such a scary one is i don't want to be afraid of anything because i believe my fear prevents me from holding more light and consciousness so we become fearless and we contain more light and have much better lives as in india they say a lot of gores become very rich actually because of the fact that they are attracting abundance through having an altar completely dedicated to something that might scare the heck out of people and that's because <laughs> they confronted their fear and are looking at their fear there as opposed to dealing with it in the world and i, I actually yeah. like talking about agora because i believe there's a lot of agoras in america by nature it means they're actually wanting to confront their fear very consciously there's no real path for it Christianity is not it. That's going to create a lot more fear. That belief in the devil is the difference between you know, religions of realization like Buddhism and Hinduism and then dogmatic religions that just perpetrate more fear, which perpetrates more ignorance. And a lot of these people that create these dark things are also loaded with fear themselves, kind of like Ted Bundy. You know, he could sit there and kill all these women, but when his day came to die himself, I mean, he was flipping out over the fact that he actually had to die. It's like, or what were you thinking? So right. th his fear made him that person that actually was that killer. So we believe fear is the ultimate evil. <laughs> we believe that creates negativity inside of human beings. And often people with that dark spot you're talking about are people loaded with subconscious fear. And so they're preying yeah. on people with that fear. You remove that fear from them, they just lighten up. <laughs> yeah, and you're up. taking that fear That's and right. projecting it onto the other, right? And then yeah. just creating this cycle of unnatural darkness. That's correct. Yeah. So you mentioned briefly that you believe we're here, we're on Earth school, and that this is not where we're from. Where do you think we're from? That ocean of light, you know, it's infinitely in everything right now. And you just, it, and it exists in all things. And so it, it, it's, you know, as a Buddhist master or Hindu master will state, it's neither here or there. You just merge into it. It's right in front mm -hmm. of you. It's always been there. And when you go to sleep at night, you actually tap into the seventh plane of yourself every single night, every single night. And that's why my guru said, don't worry about death. You're there every single night. You love that mm -hmm. place. 
it's your favorite place to go. So the reason they, they talk about that gasp in Agora, that last breath is when you realize the number one fear in Agora is not being able to breathe. So that means we believe that the fear of death is actually coming from the fact that you can't breathe in that moment. Like you're going, oh God, I don't want to be in a situation where I can't breathe. Once you get, once that release of breath and you realize that you're going to breathe on the other side, you immediately release this life and go, oh my God, I can breathe there. And so that's that last gasp. And so in Agora, we do meditate on death and that last, where's the unlucky 13 seconds that that number 13 comes from, is there's 13 seconds where you go into an infinite void of blackness where you actually have to confront that there is no light, there is no afterlife, and you might just be maggot food in a minute. Mm. It lasts for 13 seconds, and then you take that gasp, and you realize you can breathe on the other side, and you immediately release your body going, oh, I can breathe there, and you go, oh, wow, I was here last night. I was here the night. As a matter of fact, I might have spent more time here when I was alive than on the earth plane. So you just go right back to the place you go every single night. And that's why sleep is so important. Why do we have to go to sleep every night? And if we don't sleep for a few days, we start going crazy because you tap into your source, that infinite light that's just right there and you tap into Mm. it. I love that. When you did my reading and I just gave you a first name and one of the things that I talk a lot about is my inability. I'm a chronic hyperventilator. And when you were just sort of telling me about me, you said that I was born and Mercury retrograde, and I never learned how to breathe. And oh, that if God. I were born in India, that I would that this would be one of the focuses of trying to teach me how to breathe. So it's interesting. It's like, I don't know how to breathe on this side. I wonder if I'll be able to breathe on the other. <laughs> you will. I, I, and I can promise you that. And, I, and that comes from experiences. And Agora, we like my guru, and my Agora guru would say, no philosophy, just experience. Let's chant so we have that experience, so we no longer have to have in the background. It's like, is that real or it's not? I, I'm a creature of experience. So when I went to India, I didn't want a book telling me what was going to happen. I wanted to actually have that experience. And I mean, I went through practices, which I still do this day, that another person go, wow, that's a really scary practice. One of them is, you know, an agora has to have a human skull in their house. And it's like, we meditate with that right on our lap. I mean, I did a podcast recently and I told people that I slept in a coffin for three years. I had tons of people around that saw my coffin and I was in a Kali room dedicated to the goddess Kali and I'd close that coffin every night. So I'd start asking Kali, it's like, I need more work. I really don't have any fear of death anymore. And then the fear that I still am working through is is the separation from other people. It has nothing Mm. to do with the act of where I'm going. I'm actually excited about where I'm going because I've had enough experiences, not book, intellect, personal experience. I'm not great. Comes from just working towards a goal. I would meditate on this over and over again. No one's special. We reap the fruit of our own efforts. So when I say I'm having these experiences, I don't want to separate myself from people like I'm important. It was a goal of mine, a really Mm -hmm. avid goal. I want to get past fear of death and dying. I want to do that. And so I did. And so you start having these experiences through chanting and Kali would start to take you through that process. But then it gets to the point like, "Ah, I don't have fear of that anymore. So what's my next fear? Ah, I don't want to lose that person. But you're going to see them again in a future life. That wasn't good enough for me. I like them the way they are right now. So there's an attachment there. I'm like, ah, damn, I still have that one. And so that's my next work is letting go of attachment to these forms. It's not about death and dying anymore. It's about the ultimate of all fears, separation. The only thing you or anyone else is afraid of 
is separation, whether separation from your body and the bliss of it, whether separation from a person. So there's only union and there's only separation. They're the only two things that exist in all of creation. And they are the opposite of one another. We eventually experience union through separation. The only thing we are afraid of is separation. There is no other fear. And final question. When we think about sort of something like this system being a map that's been divined, remembered, whatever it is, is it important that we have these maps? I talk about friends of mine who have like a little bit of oracle abuse, right? Where they get to the point where they struggle to, to make their own decisions without consulting or understanding. And I, I sort of feel, I try to resist or I try to do it very rarely, once, maybe twice a year. Maybe that's not so rare, but I don't it do is. it all the time. It is. Okay. No, there are people, constant readings. Astrology should be your weather forecasting. When I give you one-year report, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you the energies are there. It's practical to get readings as long as someone isn't interjecting their opinions on you of what you should do. So when you get from readings from me, you get good cycles, bad cycles. It's like putting on a weather report and seeing a tornado coming or a sunny day. You can make better planning in life through proper astrology. So I make certain I don't take people's free will away from them, that I help them and encourage them towards their own free will. And that's why my readings are about the energy cycle shifts. Uh, oh, here's a difficult week of the year. Here's a good phase. Here's a challenging phase. And then the first reading I give, which is my favorite, we used to talk about that blueprint, that ocean imprint that you are, that drop of the soul. I love that reading because it's where we tap into that drop. But after that, it's just information to help you make and plan for your life to make it better. I don't tell people what to do. Yeah. And I know you are booked way out, but I highly recommend the people talk to you. It's really interesting and certainly a different flavor than what people might be used to. Absolutely. Well, it feels appropriate that Jade and I are chatting on the day that Hurricane Hillary is hitting California. He's in the desert, and I'm in Los Angeles. And I loved what he had to say about the reality of global warming and its mystical seeds, that it's time for us to take responsibility for our actions and to understand that we are co-creating our own reality, that we are not merely victims of the environment, but we are part of it. And I'm sure many of you feel that acutely as well. And also that these zones, as he said, these moments that feel so dark that they actually make us wake up from the nightmare and turn on the lights. Anyway, when I did my reading with Jade, I used a pseudonym and it's a very short, it's 20 or 30 minutes and a friend of mine told me that I needed to talk to him, that it was one of the most accurate experiences she'd ever had and it was really wild and, and very specific and different. It will feel familiar and yet different. And he told me things about me that are so true without knowing, obviously, anything about me, that I needed to know him more and understand his mind and where he studied. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you do, we'll have him come back. If you liked today's episode, please rate and review and tell a friend. You can find show notes and full transcripts of the episodes at elise.lunen.com. While there, please sign up for my Substack, 
I send a short note every Wednesday about topics that are aligned with this show and a deeper dive most Sundays. Or follow me on Instagram at Elise Lunen. And finally, if you haven't already, please consider picking up a copy of my New York Times bestselling book, On Our Best Behavior, The Seven Deadly Sins and the Price Women Pay to Be Good, available wherever you get your books. It's an exploration of how women have been conditioned for goodness, men for power, and all the ways we've been programmed to police ourselves and each other according to these cultural ideas of what it is to be a good woman. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to my sponsors who make this show possible. Please support them the way they support this podcast. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio. If you enjoyed this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow Pulling the Thread. Available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to give a shout out to Phil Svitek, Lauren LaGrasso, Mary-Kate McDonough, Allie Brockman, and the entire Cadence 13 team for producing these episodes, and to Valero Duvall for my key art. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you next time.